0: So I made the decision to go Smart Casual Thank you Thank you Hello and welcome back to Smart Casual With me Jeff Innocent My guest on this week's episode is stand-up comedian And very lovely bloke Jeff Norcott I've known Jeff for many years We both served our comedy apprenticeships Around the same time on the UK stand-up circuit We spoke about a range of topics in this episode, including fatherhood, getting drunk at home during lockdown, and Jeff being labelled a conservative comedian. This episode was recorded back in September 2021, when, inspired by grassroots debates and protests such as Black Lives Matter, the comedy industry began to address issues around race, gender and representation, so Jeff and I also get to chat about diversity in comedy. But we kick off this episode by talking about our mutual love of DJing and writing jokes about our fashion sense. I hope you enjoy it. We were just talking about um, car journeys Mm. and how that when you're in a car journey with other comedians, which I suspect you don't do anymore, um, not just, so much
1: these days. But, but
0: Well, you must have done it at some, some I point. Did my, I did my hours. And I'm doing a bit now because I've got rid of my car in lockdown. Yeah. And so I've been in a couple of cars and there becomes like a shared list of who are the worst people to be in a yeah. car with. And I've got my, obviously I'm not going to mention any names on air, but no. I've got my little list. But I often wondered,
1: I must be on people's list. You know, you yeah. think you're not on a list. Well, I suppose we all must have had really bad days. I remember once I took, and I, I, I will name him because he doesn't come out of this badly, but Tin and Doiweb. Okay. I, I went down to exit with him and I was very much into my techno at that point and I'd mixed together an hour of techno and I played it like <laughs> top volume on so loud on the way back. And you know, with a bit of age and perspective, I look back on his reactions <laughs> and I, he was being so polite.
0: What do you mean, you were so into this mix that you Yeah, you'd yeah done. I was
1: David Brent in it, but for was it, techno. What was it, on a on a, on a, cassette, it was on a CD, yeah. On a CD, and, a CD. and
0: uh, you said, we've got to listen to this. I was like, you what forced do you think? your yeah. mix
1: on. <laughs> but I remember there was one drop in it of a beat that was so filthy. Like, my wife loves like quite hard music as well, but I remember when even she heard that, she was like, Jesus Christ, that's a bit much. So I can only imagine what he thought. He's quite a, quite a gentle, nice chap as well, Tian and and I must you know like being on the M4 at 2am, going past Cheevly Services with Jeff Norcott playing his techno <laughs> CD. He must have thought fuck this. For did a game did or... you do DJing with that music? Because I remember you talking yeah. about going out and raving uh, and stuff some yeah, years yeah, ago. Sometimes yeah, played out, played out a few times, and um, he, he enjoyed it, enjoyed it a lot. He I'm very very passionate about dance music, but it's not a form of music that many comics like. Comics tend to like stuff with lyrics. Sure, but did you?
0: Were you down to do some DJing at the Cambridge Comedy Festival I was.
1: Well? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I, was, I had my set list planned out. I was looking yeah, forward well, to that. Yeah, well, we and all then, were.
0: I yeah. had my... my. And, and is it, was it the weather that stopped it? Or? I can't remember. I think they well, just thought... Well, what, what happened, the Cambridge yeah. Comedy Festival, for our listeners, was a big outdoor stand-up comedy festival, but with music, with DJs, and I think all the DJs were comedians that also DJ, yeah. and I was one of them. And I was down to do my old-school reggae set Mm -hmm. at a particular time. Uh, Then he got called off because of COVID. We couldn't DJ. Then he changed his mind. But first of all, he said to me, you can do vinyl. So I spent months working out my vinyl set. Then he said to me, oh, no, there's not going to be vinyl decks now. Then I spent months sorting out a CD set. Then when we got there, the guy turned up with the rig, but only one of the decks worked. It was an absolute, complete disaster. And I got so annoyed as the bloke was explaining to me what was wrong. I went don't say anything, don't do not say one other word, mate, because you're winding me up. I started getting a little bit <laughs> nasty. No, because I spent months, and actually doing the music was
1: more important to me.
0: You know, oh, we, yeah, we yeah, do comedy yeah. all the time, but I don't often get No, the it's very to rarely you get
1: a chance to play out. I mean, I was also, I realised that as I was putting together my playlist, that I was starting to make the same artistic concessions, in my mind, that I'm making stand-up, where I sort of thought I'd love to play this, but you know, you got to keep the women on the <laughs> dance floor. Maybe you need a little bit of vocal house here, uh, one that they recognise there. So I sort of realised that my playlist in the end was a bit like my stand-up, where I take the odd liberty, but mostly try and keep that's people inside. That's funny. Yeah.
0: But I used to impose my music on people, like the story of you. Yeah. In the car with your, I used to bring cassettes and with all my stuff and impose it on people. So that's just loving the music, really, isn't it?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it still gives me, uh, there was an advert uh, for a bank recently, you know one of these adverts for banks where they try and lay credit to not, stuff that's fuck all to do with them. So there'll be someone like a newborn baby and this, yeah. they'll say this is to do with the Halifax or something. Sure. And so there's this bloke that was sort of saying that he used to be into Northern Soul and then he sort of dusted down his records at 40 and it turned out the thing that gave him pleasure then still gives him pleasure now. And I think that that was a really insightful thing. I thought I think a lot of people as they get older, they just sort of stop playing games, you know, or, or the things. Mm-hmm things Mm -hmm. that make them happy. So I've I've never stopped, is what I'm saying. So did you get on
0: the decks at home? Have you got Uh, got vinyl decks? uh, No, no, no. CDJs. Have you ever had vinyl decks?
1: I, I did, yeah, yeah, originally. I mean, I just think that it's interesting, isn't it, how technology can liberate creativity. I do think that CDJs, especially for that kind of music, are a bit more... You can do more. Do you you know can, I mean?
0: uh, uh, if you've got them on CD, of course, so not, yeah, not or everything you, or went on what, CD. Well, well, yeah, you run or, like this, or, Jeff. I've
1: got, got it on um, uh, USB sticks, mate. OK. Dongles. Because I, I did
0: a, um, a radio, during the first lockdown, for the mm. first year, I did a radio programme mm. for a reggae uh, radio station, uh, but all of my stuff is on vinyl. Um, and so I played it, we rigged it all up from my home. And I was doing it on vinyl. Uh, it was great. It was great being on the radio. Well, vinyl.
1: Said. Certain songs. I mean, like just hearing that it's on vinyl, mm. you want it to be on vinyl. But if you're playing stuff that is like designed to be heard alongside mm-hmm. maybe one or two other tracks, yeah. Then, then I do think. I mean, like the problem with like with playing house music or techno. Is mm-hmm. Once you beat matched it, there's not that much you can do unless you have got effects thing. Sure. And, and also, I always felt like when I was DJing at home, putting on effects was a bit embarrassing. Like well, you think, well, to yourself. No, no one's listening, Jeff. <laughs> and I'm doing... But he, he, do you still go out, though, and listen to the music? Well, you still I went go out actually, I went out recently with a mutual friend of ours, Ian Stone. Uh, okay. We went to Ministry of Sound to a trance night. and okay. um, It was good. I mean,
0: again, it's, it's do, still... Do, do, does one
1: have to take Class A drugs in order to enjoy an evening I would evening say like not, that? no. I, I think the... I would say that you need to, in a sort of... Put some sort of... You need to be a bit... I would say you need to be a little bit drunk. Maybe a shot of something, you know, a tequila or something like that. Just to ease you in... Do you
0: need to have experienced Class A drugs in your life? to actually get on board with that vibe again
1: evidently less so these days young kids now don't feel that way but i certainly feel like it's just a way of i suppose for a lot of people shutting out the other noise to the extent that they Mm -hmm. can focus on one thing to the exclusion of all else which is like a form of meditation yeah of course yeah and and it it felt it felt good to be back there but the problem with dance music is that you know if you're some old you know dad rocker who goes to see elbow or Coldplay. No one will ever question the fact that you're going to see a gig, will they? They'll just go, oh yeah, great, you've got tickets. If you say oh, I'm going to uh, the Ministry of Sound to see Ferry Causton, often anybody, like even somebody who's 30, will say, what yeah? <laughs> okay, well what else am I supposed to do to hear the music that I like live? Although mm-hmm. I mean, I must admit, like, you know, get going to bed at 6am and stuff like that, it's... Uh, Takes its toll.
0: What do you wear when you go out? Because um, I, there's something about your 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 style, Jeff, that yeah. I remember, and I think you might have been a pioneer in this respect, the jacket jean look. Jacket now, jean. Yeah, yeah. Now you probably don't even know, but I've always thought of you as the guy that virtually pioneered. There was a on time, stage, yeah, yeah, the jacket. Gene look I remember you I did, I did I experimented with it i He's nailed a while. that look And then I noticed yeah, a, lot I other it, yeah. a lot of um, other comedians A lot of
1: other comedians Were you conscious No I, I think I just wanted to look Smart I suppose it was Around that time At the the end of the noughties and the beginning of Whatever mm-hmm. the last decade's called I don't think we've even Decided on that now um and like there was that off the curb thing of like you gotta look smart and stuff so i so i mm-hmm. experimented that for a while but but now i just wear the same thing all the time on stage on telly in life at nightclubs jeans and a polo shirt generally oh, okay. yeah like exactly as i'm sure. dressed now and my wife hates it because there's a stunning lack of creativity in how i dress and, and women do like a, a a well-dressed man a man that's willing to be Flamboyant, you know. I mean, I've got a man sitting opposite me here who's, who's well, mixed. I like clothes, yeah. yeah I like yeah, dressing yeah. up. You made some bold but, choices in your time,
0: well, yeah, I do. But what what I, I mean, there's a couple of things there. What I, I, I like, I like clothes. I, like, I used to be a window dresser in men's fashion, so mm. that's probably part of it. But I like collecting clothes, vintage clothes, wearing mm. clothes that might be unconventional to, to other people of my age. But I was thinking during lockdown that when I wasn't a comedian, I wasn't anything. uh, and I was still wearing those clothes. Mm. Probably looked a bit weird. When you're in a band, if someone goes, hey, look at that guy, he's wearing... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's in a band, they go, oh, that's okay. But during lockdown, I thought, I'm not even in the band now, so I'm now just an old bloke on a scooter wearing weird clothes. No one can say he's in the band. But I think people
1: would presume that you do something interesting based on the way that you dress.
0: I've had times where they've become a burden as well because I've had such good material Mm. out of an outfit I now feel obliged to wear it again to get that same joke, like yeah. a costume that would be then, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's same have things. you ever had that? No, yeah.
1: completely at this point in time. I mean, I've got jokes that I make and uh, make about looking like you know, uh, someone that would be ideologically opposed to vaccines because I do right. look, look like that. <laughs> so that's yeah. exactly that's yeah. exactly, yeah. but, I, but shift I, it. What I do like what, <laughs> I, what <laughs> I like and I shift so we- murder <laughs> I look like I'll be standing outside Parliament just ripping face masks off pensioners. So
0: then you get such a good joke out of it. Now, I, (laughs) the way I shift it around as well. So I once had, um, I once for a while wore a denim suit before the concept of double denim came out as a negative term. It was quite, it was a Levi jacket trouser thing. And I had this uh, joke that uh, I looked like a bouncer a country and western evening, mm. right? And then I'd tag it with, Oi, stand by your man. Yeah. And I was so... <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke so much. I couldn't take it off. I couldn't not wear it just for that, that joke. And you have whole weekends where you uh, wear well, it. Well, once and... someone shouted "Oh, ooh, double denim. And I thought, what the fuck does that mean? I don't even know what that means. Then I realised yeah. there was some issue but about... You realise
1: then the cultural tectonic plates t- are
0: moving. I went too past, past the, 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 the sell-by date of that look. That's but, those, it but
1: it's interesting, though, like that moment in comedy that you referenced there, is that something has changed in society where something that you just thought was a standard evergreen yeah. look yeah. suddenly had a name and it wasn't good. And I couldn't double yeah, denim. I, I couldn't de- couldn't find that. And you know what? That? I remember getting yeah. really nasty because she was Australian.
0: Yeah. And I was so offended by her criticism when I went, yeah, like Australia. Yeah, really at the sat centre of the fashion world. I remember it's good, it's being a good nasty. put down. <laughs> I mean it's a fair shout, isn't it? I mean, like you addressed essentially like
1: every single mechanic yeah. in Western Australia.
0: Oh man, you know, I just I did. but also I remember wearing that that outfit. Now I I, I was certainly forty or in my early forties, because that's how old I was mm. when I started doing comedy. And I walked past that pub that's on the way to Heaven nightclub called Halfway to Heaven. Mm. Do you know that pub? It's just past, just coming out of Trafalgar Square on the way to Charing Cross Station. And I remember walking past and these blokes outside went, "Oh, look at that. And I thought, oh my God, you know, that's Mm. never happened to me before. Like a gay sex icon because of the denim suit. So I kept it on probably for longer than I should have, hoping for that kind
1: of response. I um, That pub, actually, I remember once, and this this is one of those things that you can never do in a routine because it would sound contrived and it would sound problematic in the modern day. But when I was going up that road, I asked a guy for directions to somewhere and genuinely he directed me via musicals.
0: So he's sort of <laughs> saying, yeah, if you go up there,
1: pass Mamma Mia, take take a left at Cats, And I just thought, if this was like a sketch, it'd, yeah, be, it'd be like a Harry Enfield character, wouldn't it? A gay guy that can only give directions by using really I gay know. landmarks. But you have to just, they, they, that happens in comedy. You know, it there's does. certain stories with my parents whereby I've just had to not tell them. Because you because had that cult of comedians just making shit up. Um, like, the audiences are quite suspicious, I think. Uh, so there's a couple of stories with my parents where I just I can't tell them because I, I, there's just complete disbelief in the room. What? what, 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 what well, one was that my dad, ended, when I rang my dad once, he was on the set of a porn film because he basically buddied up with, um, there was a barman down at his local and the barman was basically, uh, he was a barman by night, but a porn star by day, which doesn't feel like yeah, no. which way, But <laughs> But they filmed porn films during the day and my dad got talking to him and he was like, if I drive you around tomorrow, is it all right if I just have a little look at how it all works? Is that what
0: your dad said? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So I rang my dad, and then, and then like he, he was hes quite an eccentric character, mm-hmm. and um, he was really whispering. Like I said, you all right, Dad? He went, yeah, yeah, not too bad, but I've got to keep it down because I'm on the set of a porn film. And I was like, right. Um, and then he said, he goes, well, don't, he goes, don't worry, I'm not in it. And I thought, Fuck. see, my dad at that point, with all respect to him, he was a very fat man, uh, and he had one arm. Now that doesn't absolutely preclude being in porn, but it's a fucking niche category. It's isn't it? niche. Yeah,
0: it's probably one of those categories on a porn site where yeah. you know, you know when you well, you know when one looks on a porn site oh. and is relieved to see that the specific thing that you've whittled it down to. Yeah, there's twenty-seven thousand other people that have gone yeah, to that yeah. place. You feel a sense of relief that you're not. You the don't only need to be a complete no. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think very. Obese, one-armed. Yeah, one-armed is so he, probably he's not an a unusual. Category,
1: uh, <laughs> connection. I, and it's <laughs> one of those ones where I just said, like, <laughs> maybe this is one for me and you, not just don't tell the, my, sis, my sister. You know what I mean? He, but he, well, he But he, you know, both him and my mum had had moments like that. And um, that's one of the things I've had to do is sort of sift because neither of them are around anymore. But uh, but sift through those stories and and only really tell the ones that I don't have to butter up mm-hmm. too much because. It's a t- It's just, it, I don't have to, you know, and then you see a lot of these comics and, you, you know, you can smell it a mile off yeah. when a comic does this thing, right? And, I mean, you talk about slagging off comics <laughs> and comics. But, you know, when they say, and he looked, they'll often, like, they'll do a story and it'll get to this surprisingly structurally sound Pinnacle, what they're saying. He looked at me with love in his heart and hope in his hand, oh. and he said, without missing a beat, "Oh, that's that's convenient that he didn't miss a beat for your comedy routine." And he said, "Oh, that's your mother's vagina, that or something like your dad yeah. would never fucking say." And and it's, re- I mean, it works. Audiences will go with it, but you think, well, it's not. I don't know. It's a bit dishonest. <laughs>
0: Am I right? Was it you whose dad was a copper? Or is it your no. wife's dad was a copper? My wife's dad was, yeah. OK, because I was thinking about that. And, and and when you first started going out with her, was there was there an issue there? I know you're not no, no you're not I a got criminal the background sense, as such. But.
1: I got a sense that he'd scoped me out a little bit. But there was like a, a Robert... You know that Peter film Meet the Parents with Robert De Niro? Mm-hmm. There was a kind of understanding. And I thought, well, luckily for me was that I moved... loosely around that world, but I never did anything myself. I knew the people, but I never did the thing. So I didn't have a criminal record and stuff. But in a way,
0: where I come from, that makes you a proper grass, really, going out with a coppers, daughter.
1: Yes. (laughs) Because
0: I just so didn't come, didn't have any coppers in my family. But uh, it, but were there any problems with that?
1: No, no, not not really. I mean, he he'd uh, retired and was then gone back into the force. Like a, a lot of like coppers of his generation, was got a decent pension, then went back in as a sort of civilian and was working in the police force in that way. So he's quite he was quite an an, an older member of the police okay. force then, and and also quite wizened and and realistic about things. You know, he wasn't one of those little peckerheads that pulls you over and. You know, as a sort of fascist gleam in their eye, right? mm-hmm. he'd, he'd gone a long way. He'd gone a long way past that into an understanding, I guess, probably of the complicity and similarities between okay. the underworld of and course. the police. Of course, well, of course. Yeah,
0: yeah I mean, I because I, I remember uh, with my dad uh, was complete uh, police hatred. We were brought up to, to things yeah. like that, uh, and I haven't brought my children up to think like that because you know, you, they might have to rely on the police one day, and I don't mm. want them to be like that, and of course I'm not a professional criminal, but we, we I mean, it, we, we, the guy opposite us, during the Cray Twins trial, mm. there was a guy that lived opposite us a few doors along. It was a docker. His name was Johnny Byrne, and he, he wasn't a criminal, but he was a little bit of a ducker and diver, but he was on the jury, so he had to have 24-hour police
1: protection. That must have been the worst moment of his life when he got selected for that jury.
0: Well, yeah, I, I think it was, and so he had... He had he had the police sitting outside his house in a yeah. car, twenty four seven. My dad used to look out the window, and if the J- Johnny Byrne's wife took out a tray with a, with some cups of tea and all yeah, yeah. Look, uh, yeah. I really think it was so bad. And he, of course, he he found it restricting. My dad found it restricting for the police to be sitting outside our house, of course, because he was be a. That's how he earned a living, and uh, it
1: was a very funny. And we had some is. But it's just something in. about a police car being in your line of vision that means your blood pressure. Yeah, I think yeah, is slightly sure, different. You yeah. know? And even I, if I, you don't do anything. Well, I, 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 you know, I haven't been or you know had anything on me or anything for for quite some time now, but. But just having a police car behind me or, or, or around yeah. changes my behaviour. I suppose it's a little bit like, you know, when, they, when a doctor takes your blood pressure, the one thing that's going to happen is your blood pressure is going to go up slightly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think it's the same. as There's a thing with police cars that's a bit like white yeah. coat syndrome, where sure. you just think, you know, what have I done? And I never did anything that bad. as a, kid, But I did get you know, pulled over quite aggressively quite a lot, you know. And I know, obviously, as a white lad, it wouldn't be as much as a lot of uh, black lads in London. But I did look like that kind of lad, sure. you know. I look like a kind of bloke to grow up to be anti-vax.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so, what did your actual dad do then? Your, your, your... he was a draftsman. Okay.
1: For, uh, for BT, so he started off work, working for Hawker. That uh, sounds like yeah. a good job in those days. Well, it was, but it was also interestingly, and this is the thing about the Norcott family. It was, it was kind of between the factory floor and the bosses. It's one of those jobs. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you sort of, and that's what the Norcots, I think, have always been. Is fundamentally caught. Between that world, you know, kind of having to suck up. But to that, both. That,
0: that was an aspiring. When well, I remember when I was a kid in yeah. the sixties, to be a draftsman. Yeah, was yeah, and, and
1: aspiring with, when Harold Wilson got in as well, you know, there was that big tech boom and stuff, and they were sort of aspirational. The white heat of jobs. technology. Yeah, Is yeah, no, and he speech, was very much it? drawn into the Labour Party by right, that by okay. that narrative and stuff, and then he ended up working at uh, BT, and then he was he's made redundant. Do you remember that recession in the early nineties? Absolutely yeah. savage yeah, blokes yeah. mainly. Blokes of a certain age. Sure. So he was redundant for like six, seven years, and then he wow. then he was he went back in as a health and safety officer at Merton Council, which I still did
0: that change. How old were you at that time? Then did I
1: was, I was wait a minute, ninety-one, fourteen. So was no, no, a no shift sorry. He was made redundant. For you, was there a, a well? My parents got divorced around that time okay. and stuff. So he was on his ass, really. You know, wow. but but still, still, you know, g- you know, going at life and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was difficult. He had to move back in with his parents, and. Um, and yeah, but that, that that and I know that subsequent r- recessions were more evenly balanced between men and women. But back then, there was a whole generation of sort of middle management men mm-hmm. that were cast aside, and uh, he really struggled to get work. You know, for for quite a long time. But uh, but he he also he also stopped drinking around that time. And I remember maybe he was drinking Perrier water, or it was real real fucking gear change. You know what I mean? Like, and he was he was he was around more as well. Right. So that's that, that unusual thing that a lot of people find. And maybe people have found the lockdown was not working. It does allow you to be a better parent.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's if your kids let you in, you know. Yeah. You know. I mean, I've spent obviously the job we have gives you loads Mm. of time with your kids. It's what must be one of the best jobs to have kids. Yeah, yeah. Apart from when they're young, in the middle of the night when you've come home at one in the morning. Yeah. Uh, But but to spend time during the day, and uh, I mean. uh, it's been great you know i remember exactly where i've been with my last child who's now mm. 17 for the last 17 years took him to school picked him up from school and i never be- was able to do that before with my kids mm. when i was at a more conventional job but my dad spent a lot of time in prison so a lot of the time i knew him was it's funny because his whole mm. perspect sheeting thing that's come in through COVID, it's totally reminded me of all he is. <laughs> it brought it back so much. And I've even been doing that on stage. That's Sometimes funny. I've been on stage yeah, with yeah, there's yeah. been Perspects, and I've, been, I've been wiping it going, I'll wait for you, I'll wait for you. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and, and it's been like I've been performing to whole gangs that are behind Perspects. Yeah. Um, but, um, but he was very old, my dad. So he died when I was 18 or something. Mm. Um, but I think because he was in prison, I was allowed uh, an independence before my years because mm-hmm. I was the oldest child. So I never really had a conventional dad figure. Yeah, yeah. Actually,
1: No, my dad was—he was—he was a—he was, he was, was a good dad, but he had to work at it. Like it didn't come natural. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like he, but he was—he was in the final reckoning, he was a good dad. But he mm-hmm. had periods where he was. Flipping either side, you know.
0: You think that's to do with alcohol as well? Yeah, uh, yeah. And, then, yeah, you know, you and know. of course,
1: now we know when big things are happening, like redundancy, mm. what an effect that can have on someone's mental health. Well, but my mum and dad got divorced at like 86. I think he got made redundant shortly after that. So that was mm-hmm. when he stopped drinking, like I think, which was Whoa. interesting.
0: And I think it was acid house in those days. Yeah, yeah. He just got that into that the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he went out to Pasha in the beef. Herd.
1: <laughs> but he. I, I do wonder if, like, the, the responsibilities of being um, a dad and providing a, and the work and the st- stress was, was kind of and in, and, and then know. when he went back to work, that he didn't not immediately, but that was when he started drinking. But, but
0: you're a, you're a dad now yourself. I am, and yeah. how old's your baby? He's five and a half. Five and a half. Um, yeah. And so, what what kind of dad do you think that you are? Soppy are you? as fuck.
1: Yeah. like Really soppy. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you have this kind of stage thing that we all cultivate, and it is you. But it's also the bit of you that you want to bring on stage, right? Mm-hmm. Like the bit of you that you like, that you think is cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you go, I'll give that. Geezer well, that's a why run-
0: they love us on stage. Yeah. Isn't it? Well, you give yeah. that
1: person a run around, don't you? But yeah. it's a sort of partitioned version of you. And, and you know, I've been talking about it more on stages that I am just so fucking needy with him. It's really weird. Like I'll just be like, can I have a hug all the time? And he still indulges me. Mm-hmm. But as you say, that that doesn't last forever. And and also, you know. I just hate for him to be sad at all. I find it very difficult. Mm-hmm. Even if I've had to tell him off about stuff, I just have to go and have a little cry in the <laughs> in the toilet because of the disappointment in his face. I'm disappointed that he's disappointed in himself, you know. Um, but he, I, I do enjoy I do enjoy being a dad, you know, and stuff and. Uh, and I, you know, my dad was a good dad, but you do think it's, like, it's that thing—you either kick or conform, isn't it? You either you either do the same shit again, or you reflect and try and balance it out.
0: Yeah. So, do you uh, do you think about how it was for you when you were a child, and how different you're making it as a pre- as a dad from yeah. how he made it? I think that there are. I, d- I
1: don't think maybe sometimes it's as different as I think. You know, because sometimes when I get really busy and stuff, and I get lost in work, I become. Mm. Quite a, a one-dimensional person, you know. Of work like almost you just become this animal that can only write jokes or say jokes, mm-hmm. and that's not really a normal human thing to be. It's quite safe. Well, actually, I think the conventionality
0: of that as a parent is that yeah. you're just hunter-gathering, so you're you're yeah. you're not I- engaging with them emotionally or intellectually. You're just providing. Yeah, you know? is that is that what happens? Yeah, to you're me?
1: probably right. Yeah, especially I don't know about you, but if I'm away for several days at a time, I sometimes find like me and my wife communicate a lot. Uh, And, you know, we're very intuitively wrapped up in each other's um, business. But then if I'm away for like a a week or so, I can't talk to her. I don't know what to say to her. Do you know what I mean? Well,
0: (laughs) when I come... (laughs) Because we haven't Mm. been away. I haven't been away so much. But, I mean, actually, I think that's why there's problems. I think after uh, nearly 30 years of me being away every other weekend, to not be away for over a year has created problems. Did you find that your missus missed you being away? Uh, well, totally. It's <laughs> <You know, laughs> more than that, I think. Yeah, totally. I've been, I miss being away, and I've just been there twenty-four-seven mm. and not working as well and carrying all that. So it's been a huge problem for her yeah, to yeah. have this this idiot lumbering around the house with directionless drinking in the morning. Just, just. But I mean, it's it's worked its way out now. Did you, did you, did you drink did, more in? in oh the house? yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Doing, I, I mean, I think I was stoned. Yeah. for a whole year i've given up everything now because i just thought, no, no i just had a year and i thought oh i could have a little bit of jack daniels in the morning it doesn't matter does it yeah. so i did that for a whole year i i i even uh, adopted a whole new persona uh, yeah. uh, because i was hardly living the house so i grew a beard a lot of people grew a beard i grew a beard yeah. a big big druid beard like um nice. like, Ch- like like charles bronson the prisoner in fact yeah. he was my role model and i stayed in a room and I just wore this and a
1: strong. beard. must have alarming time for your
0: <laughs> wife. <laughs> what? And we haven't quite yeah. recovered from it. And when I think back, you know. It's, uh... she, she saw
1: something, didn't she? she yeah, like... yeah. <laughs> <But there> were... <laughs> and I didn't think there was ever, ever a
0: problem. I did yeah. my radio show. I was staying in my room surrounded by records and books. Yeah. Didn't interact with the outside world. Um, but what, what happened is when gigs started coming back, I was offered mm. some gigs because i didn't think we were, i don't know about you where yeah. you were with that but i didn't think we were going to be doing it ever again i got it in my head that that's yeah. it i'm not a comedian anymore i'm just a druid i, I, did, I
1: did there's a shocking thing jeff i didn't miss it for the first like, okay. three months i d- did i'd been working so flat out and stuff, that I'd got myself exhausted, and I just, so we had we had a slight tension, because I had writing work and stuff, so I was lucky that a couple okay. of things went ahead, I was able to make some episodes and do some episodes of Mashport for home, so I had work ticking over, I was fortunate in that respect, but in terms of the live work, I was really alarmed, and I remember, I remember like saying to my missus, um, I don't miss it babe, do you know what I mean, I don't, I don't miss it, but like, I really mistook the look on her face, because at first I thought she was like, oh, look, she's, she's really surprised that she's seeing this part of me. And then through discussion, it turns out that she was terrified because those little breaks away like, are really important to her in, in still liking me. Like, just me yeah. being... <laughs> I,
0: well, I think you're right. I yeah. think lots of comedians' partners would have been going through that that same thing. And it then became accumulative because it wasn't just that you... It was that you were not away for a long period of time. Yeah, And that built up and built up. And so I'm desperately trying to get gigs away to try and make up for all that time. But but actually, I've been working in London most of the time now. Well,
1: it does seem like people are gigging uh, closer to home. In terms of, like, drinking and stuff, what I found was that every two weeks, like, me and... Just in the house, me and I would just get smashed, like, mm. proper smashed. Mm. And it, um, it was incredible, really, because you sort of think... The fact that you don't have to go anywhere or get home. I, n- I never drink in the house ever. I find it weird. Like if I have a couple of drinks in the house and then mm-hmm. I go to the toilet, and you know that weird moment where you catch your reflection. Yeah. And
0: you <laughs> when you're looking a bit dodgy. You yeah, mean, yeah. yeah. And you just laugh you've, and then then you, then you yeah. feel sad. And,
1: yeah. <laughs> and
0: <laughs> well, I don't like I'm, drinking on my own in the house. I love drinking in the house, or yeah. or when I do drink, I love drinking in the house. Yeah. Uh, also, when you get older, your prostate is not what it was. So it's nice to know that you can just quick go and have a pee every five minutes if you have to, Um, but I don't mind getting drunk in the house. But you you, and you don't lose stuff either, do you? When you're drunk in the house, you know when you're drunk out, you always lose. stuff. The jeopardy overall is lower, isn't it? It always costs you more money. There'll be cab fares suddenly, or you've lost a watch, or something like that. But I can you can still have accidents in the home, maybe even more so. Yeah. Like I uh, last time I just got that that smashed and I. I went to walk, and my my foot got caught, and I went down on my knees. And my head just just I leant forward, and I just smashed my forehead into a mirror. But I couldn't lift my head back off of the mirror, and I just laughed. You know that yeah yeah that kind of stuff. Um. Well, you also did did, did you can <laughs> in,
1: injure your reputation because we uh, the co-op near us we was uh, mother-in-law had the kid for one day over the Christmas period, and then we were like, okay, we we've got a free pass here. And then we got drunk to a point, and then decided that we weren't drunk enough. And then we went up and we decided we were going to make cocktails and we were like. Oh, going out drunk to get more alcohol. Yeah, and it had in your, your local place. Yeah. And we were just like, it was just before they were closing as well. <laughs> I think I I'd, love take, I'd taken a can, a can with me, one of those cans that would I have just stayed in the cupboard. Well. well, like one of those ones that would have stayed in the cupboard forever, like something <laughs> I would never drink, like Bacardi pre mixed or something like that. <laughs> and then just bowled in there and just like thinking we were being hilarious <laughs> and stuff. And then. <laughs> went home, made the strongest margarita ever made and then just passed out, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah, you just needed that one drink, made all the difference, but you went out to get it,
1: done that so many times. No, it was interesting because I didn't really think about how different that was because there is a degree to which comedy keeps you on the straight and narrow, do not it? I mean, the fact you've got to be on stage, Mm -hmm. you've got to have a level of compass mentis and I've always thought with me that sobriety is the one thing I can have over the audience. That's Mm -hmm. one guaranteed thing. And yeah, I just suddenly the gig came back, and, and similar to yourself, I just kind of like right, got to, you know, stop pissing about now. Yeah. I, uh, I
0: I also had to uh, it had been so long. I had to go onto YouTube mm. to have a look at some of my <laughs> to to look at what I did. Yeah, yeah it I was think so you far, I'd that, so yeah. got m- my head around the fact that we weren't doing it anymore, and I didn't do comedy anymore. i was just now bearded drunk guy yeah. in the house, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then i realized that the beard had to come off and as soon as the beard came off i was i was back to normal it had become a symbolic thing that i was hiding behind the yeah, beard yeah. Um, there's a
1: very there's a very funny film called the five year engagement and um there's uh so they they they're very much in love at first but then they can't quite get it together to get married and then she he moves for her work to another state and something, I can't remember, something emasculating happens to him, but then he tries to overcompensate bit by bit, and he grows the beard and stuff, but he also starts going hunting. And it's just <laughs> to, a really funny idea was like he's doing everything bit by bit to try and like to become a different version of himself. And I think it's funny with blokes when you, you don't realise you're doing it at the time, but you're responding to a very primitive
0: yeah, need, yeah, you know, like yeah.
1: to be a, to, if things are different, then I shall be different.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the beard was the beard's a, a, a typical one, I think, yeah. in terms of uh, appearance. There are a lot of men who went into that that savage look for for lockdown, wouldn't they? Yeah. But I always see myself, and I think this might have held me back career-wise as a comedian. I've always had that hunter-gatherer thing where oh, I've got to go out and do some gigs so that we can go shopping. Mm. I've never really had this. I've never really seen past that. I've never really seen. Oh, you can earn loads of money if you do this, or if you get on the telly. Yeah, or, yeah. I've always been a, a sort of week. I always like to be paid weekly. I'm one of those sort of people. I no, still, I mean, I was, I was very, very
1: much like that you know. for, for uh, well, you know, still am. Like, very find it very difficult. I mean, I do bits and pieces on telly, but I still mm-hmm. write for television shows mm-hmm. and, and and quite a, quite a few people on telly. And it's just because when someone offers you a decent rate for doing something that you enjoy, it's just there's something in my psyche that finds it very difficult to say no. You go, well mm-hmm. that could be you know, that could pay for that. And and, and like so, like the idea that you go, all right, I'll have three weeks where I'm not working, where I can build up an idea that I can pitch. That feels to me like a very middle class mindset mm-hmm. where where you're sort of like five year plans. I mean, you remember in comedy when people well, first started talking about those.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that all that's all about that now. Mm. And, and and as I get older and I'm I'm still working weekly, I work with a lot of younger comics and the conversations they have, yeah. They never seem to be about their comedy. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist. They're always about... So if I went to one of them, how's your comedy going? Mm. What I mean is, what ideas are you working on? Yeah. What are you grappling with at the moment? What are you trying to get across? You know, what, what material? What's, what's, you yeah, know. Yeah. But they never, ever respond in that way. They'll always say, well, you know, I've got, I've got uh, the Apollo, and then I've got this, and I've got... Mock They always talk in terms of, of career.
1: Uh, rather than comedy. Well, that is the the odd thing, is no matter how zeitgeisty comedy gets or how social media it based, the people that, that play the biggest rooms, right, uh, and can pull the biggest audiences, certainly in terms of touring, they all did the yards. Like, that hasn't changed at all, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what I think is, is odd in a way. And I don't want to sound like, you know, a premature sort of old fart, but I think that, well, what, what's the end game? Because... Like, surely, ultimately, it, it must be to want to tour at a certain level, to take that thing that you do to, you know, an, an audience, especially with, with stand-up, or to be at the absolute apex of the club game. But, of
0: course, yeah. Or, yeah, that, that idea of being good at what you do, yeah. I don't know if that exists as much as it used to. Hmm. Um, and uh, when we had the break, of course, um, that affected me greatly because I started thinking about big name acts that don't, gig every week because i'm all about momentum mm. i if i if i've missed out on doing gigs i feel that momentum's gone i haven't built up on it i know if i've had a, a, a gig on a wednesday but when the weekend comes i'm already ready for that weekend mm. so i work very much on that level whereas some people don't don't gig for months because they have a tour coming up or they'll mm. um, have you been in that position yourself, i'm still
1: then? in a very much like a stage where i'm not like I've not done enough telly where I can go like oh I, you know act TBC mm-hmm. or unlisted and stuff like that. So I'm in mean, an interesting kind of hinterland. But I but I like to gig. Yeah, I don't like even now like I just put a gig in the diary for just after the tour finishes because I was like mm-hmm. well, if I don't do a gig then I won't do I won't be doing club gigs you know in the build up to Christmas. So yeah, I like I like to be at the cold face um, of it. One thing I was surprised though was after we had the break was when I went back. Um, uh, yeah, well, it didn't take much to get gig fit. No. I, I was surprised by that. I, I was, and, and, and that made me think back on all those times like yourself where I thought, I would think if I was doing the store on the Thursday, I'd have to have a gig on the Tuesday. You know mm. what I mean? I can't go to the store weekend just fucking... Sure. Do you know what I mean? Rusty. I would think that like five days was rusty. It, it,
0: it didn't take very long to get back, but there were one or two gigs where you thought, wow, I know I'm good at this, but I'm yeah. not good at this at the moment. I will be in a couple of gigs, but at the moment I'm just
1: struggling to remember
0: what I talk about, let alone how I well, talk about
1: it. That is that is a big thing, isn't it? That's one of the things we underestimate, is, is just what, what work are you putting into remembering mm. the gear? Because then that just shuts down all sorts of performance things. Mm. And so I was back out on tour, I literally started last week, uh, the first show was Wednesday. And like the amount I was every day, I was in my front room with the with the uh, mics, the mic out, rehearsing the whole show wow. because I thought I just have to be at a point because I haven't I not been able to do work in yeah. progresses. It's the most boring, weird thing in the world is to stand there on your own and do it, perform for an hour to yourself. Mm-hmm. But at least when I got on stage Wednesday, I had a bit of fluency with the gear and I could then move and stuff otherwise I'd have just been stuck well
0: of course you're not in the moment because what you're actually doing is just like an actor trying to remember their lines but yeah. the, I think the first few gigs back are like that uh, certainly I know I've forgotten more
1: I've got everything at one point as well and and shit myself so quickly and was sweating like this is in the first half because I just thought
0: and that's for a whole hour. You, I mean, yeah. at least I only had to do think of twenty minutes yeah, to, yeah. to remember, but no, the whole was, hour that's a different. I just couldn't thing.
1: remember because that's the that's the hard thing is you can I can always remember the routines, but like why I'm saying the, ne- the next mm. thing next, the transition. Of course, and I just and I literally went from talking about like you know sort of social sort of commentary thing to going to a bloke. All right, mate, you, do you live in Nottingham? <laughs> like and that was just. <laughs> That was just my brain trying to fluff. And pad. luckily, my brain threw up the, but, but, the but
0: you, I mean But you're very experienced now as a stand up comedian. And, yeah. and talking about previously about acts coming in with a career path and charting their career trajectory and mm. what TV programs they want to be on and by when, and they want to have a viral video. Uh, do you think there's uh, now a situation where some comedians get on TV? or get to tour, mm. uh, and then, but never actually fulfill their potential as a comedian because they haven't actually been doing stand-up comedy for long enough alive or on the circuit. Do you think there's something that yeah, there's, lots there's... of them miss out on? And, and like you, I don't want to be old-fashioned and go, oh, you haven't done your apprenticeship. Mm. Um, but but I certainly for myself, I've been able to improve and develop and continuously mm. to do that because I haven't, been a TV name and I haven't been taken off the circuit and put into a sitcom I've just continued steadily to work on my stand-up comedy and I wonder don't
1: forget lots of people once they go on TV they don't do stand-up anymore do they? Well what the problem is is they'll quickly find what is that thing that the public like about you right and it's mm-hmm. often it'll often be two or three things it's like oh that's the, the potty-mouthed brummy bloke mm-hmm. you know what i mean or it's the the kind of high status moody one-liner guy right so you get kind of filed down very quickly into a couple of things whereas i think as you say if you do the circuit for as long as possible before that moment mm-hmm. happens yeah. then you've got loads of other stuff you got you got maybe five things that they might think yeah, about you sure you know rather than just two and, and then the incentive you know i've seen it with tv acts like the incentive to to develop is is small when the pressure gets big quickly you know and they just sort of lean back on whatever they, I mean look I, I'm talking I'm talking as a person who most people go oh, the you know the working class Tory bloke you know what I mean like but if you come and see an hour of my stand up it's going to be a lot broader than that because mm. it's fucking like, no one wants to hear about that for an hour sure. I don't want to talk about. Sure. it's funny because i do get this stuff jeff online when people go they go, oh so what's your talk show is it going to be you just just saying how great boris is i go i would love you to <laughs> demonstrate how that could even come close <laughs> to working because if you could make a something in support of a bad politician funny you're probably the best comic that's ever lived yeah, how do yeah. you get laughs out of agreeing with something i'm not sure yeah, you can yeah it's, it's <laughs> like if you notice something about human nature like an observation or something odd you don't ever say, "Oh, have you ever noticed how this happens?" And isn't it logical? Like <laughs> you, you're essentially saying yeah, this, yeah. this makes no sense. Yeah, or or sure. if you talk about something your wife does, you never go, "Yeah, and no, that is actually quite a practical idea." But,
0: but the the the, uh, the conservative thing, uh, it was, when it, I mean, it was no. Did it surprise you? There became a thing like a USP. Did it surprise you that you know? I I, if someone said to me, oh, you're Jeff Norcott, he's gone touring, I'd have gone. Well, I I just thought, yeah, maybe he is. I don't. How did that become?
1: So I started in 2013, and I was um, I'd been doing a club circuit for a while, and you you must have had periodically these points yourself where you go, you know how to. Have do a good job in a club room, and I, mm-hmm. I, I was desperate for something more challenging. And then my wife said, sure. "Well, you know, you voted conservative for the last election. That was that was weird. You could talk about that." And I was like, "Yeah." And, and it wasn't such a big debate back then. That's what people have got to remember: mm-hmm. is there weren't this whole left or right winging mm-hmm. comedy. Hardly anyone was talking about that. So I just did it. As like a creative exercise for the Leicester Festival. And it was just 10 minutes of an hour. And I did some jokes. They weren't, they weren't great jokes. There was a couple of decent ones in there. Mm-hmm. But I just just experimented with being unpopular in the room because I'd always wanted to be liked so much. It was it, it was great in, really. And um, and then it got nominated for like Best New Show. And then uh, a couple of weeks after that, somebody big at Radio 4 sort of said, where are the right-wing voices in comedy? And at that point, I was like, well, I enjoyed doing that. I think this is something more to sort of delve into mm-hmm. here. But it wasn't until I mean that was two thousand and thirteen, and no one seemed to give a shit really until post Brexit. Brexit was the real moment where I think TV companies were sort of going, "Hang on, there's a lot of people in this country <laughs> that don't agree with us," you know, mm-hmm. and they, they had a moment where they really cared about that. I'm not sure they care as much now, but, um, but yeah, and and so I. I suppose I lent on it, I definitely lent into it, mm-hmm. but I also wanted that to be a way to talk about a lot of stuff because what I've always found more interesting than hard P political stuff, because party politics is only periodically interesting, mm-hmm. is the social commentary stuff, you know what I mean? How we live, how we relate to each other, sure. the, the kind of tribal stuff. That, sure. that, to me, has always been funnier, really.
0: Did it become an issue because stand-up comedians are perceived to be left-wing? Certainly, liberal generally. Well, yeah, and also but they're I've perceived to be left-wing, and there seems to be this argument that they all are. But quite honestly, I can only name two or three p- comedians that I would consider to be overtly left-wing in, left in their wing. practice yeah, yeah. and in their stand-up comedy. So, was it that juxtaposition that marked you out? Do you think?
1: Um, yeah, I think as well? I, I think that how were... unexpected. Yeah, well, I mean, jokes often, you know, sometimes they work because they surprise people, mm. and if. If the comedian is a Tory, that's a surprise mm-hmm. in and of itself. But I think that the other thing that happened was at the beginning of the that uh, d- decade, sorry, uh, the 2010s, the Tories were back in power, comedy had changed. And it was just suddenly seemed on all these topical satirical shows that. Almost every joke seemed to come from the same worldview. Mm-hmm. That was, and it was very kind of like there was a lot of moral certainty in these jokes. And mm-hmm. and even if you look at like someone like Simon Evans is interesting because he's not a conservative, but he certainly has a small C conservative mm-hmm. vibe. But you weren't hearing that that voice anywhere. So you think you've got sure. you got a corporation like the BBC that is publicly funded, but the the, the view of or, or the way that they treat subjects comedically seemed to represent. Very much metropolitan left wingers, of
0: course, and yeah. so the
1: absence of that voice started to look more and more jarring. And and to be honest, I think now the damage has been done because it was a it happened for so long that a lot of people, you know, from the right or people who like balancing comedy, just went, okay, that's not for me anymore. And 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 I think also after Brexit, one one big problem was that a lot of people were very dismissive and, and insulting about Brexit voters, and I, you know, like a lot of stuff that happened with Brexit, uh, bridges were bridges were burnt, you know, mm-hmm. and you kind of people suddenly thought, oh, is that how you see people like me, right? Because I always thought it was an alliance between, you know, the middle-class Labour types were like, you vote for us and we'll look after you. And then the moment they got something they didn't want, they were like, you mm. fucking racist wank. <laughs> but, of course, this whole idea of yeah. you being
0: right-wing has been totally eclipsed by people who are coming out as overtly right-wing comedians. That's mm. been a trend fairly it's recently. There's been a few more, yeah. Uh, interestingly pre-alternative if we talk about comedians from the 60s and 70s yeah most of them weren't uh, uh, r- identifying them as right-wing but most of their material was right-wing yeah in the sense that most of it was racist most of it was misogynist that was stock stand-up but I, material wasn't the it? only
1: thing i would I, yeah I, I think that was the style but i think that was coming from left and right like i think if you went to a labor working men's club up north i think you'd have heard a lot of the same jokes i don't mm-hmm. think it was exclusively Uh, Right-wing. I think some, maybe some of the most high-profile ones were. Well, you mean like Bernard Manning? Yeah, yeah. But I think that the style of humour was very common in the country. It was, yeah. I mean, being
0: racist was considered quite normal practice for most club stand-up comedians at that time, wasn't it? It wasn't, wasn't considered even being right-wing.
1: Yeah, it was just it was a reflection of of society. And I also think what's interesting about the mainstream, particularly in the eighties is as well as like the the bigoted humor there was also a lot of very silly humor wasn't there mm-hmm. Like people forget about that you know like the likes of you know Shane Ritchie and Bradley Walsh would have come from that tradition yes, of yes, just gooning yes. about you yes. know just larking weren't they that's true larking that's true. around and and i think in a way it was a shame for some of those mainstream guys who were just kind of clowns in a way mm-hmm. that they their legacy is now all that stuff was Oh, I see. You mean you, you, you think it's been put in with all of yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. And... You know, like, like like Orville and, you know. Really, I mean, sure. you, Duck, it was very sort of sure. uh, uh, innocent. In a way, a lot sure. of that kind of humour. So I think it was broader than just that. But I think it had to happen. That humour had to be taken mm-hmm. on. But then I think what happened was that the left got a little bit cosy mm-hmm. in the idea that, well, comedy's all ours. Sure. And and, and and I think if anything puts itself on a pedestal, it's probably right for... Sure.
0: I, I think uh, the Edinburgh Festival was partly to do with that yeah. as well. The yeah. notion... And I don't think a lot of young comedians realise this. The idea, the concept that there's an arts festival to go and do stand-up comedy. It's a fairly recent thing, yeah. given that stand-up comedy is about 100 years old if you're taking in vaudeville. Yeah. Um, so that now becomes elitist that you, you... That's a platform for the higher art of stand-up comedy.
1: Well, the, and the narrative as well. That's what people always say about political comedy at the fringe. But we also have this thing which I think is a genre in itself and should be called mm-hmm. what it is, which is narrative comedy. It's not stand up. Mm-hmm. Stand up will bounce around lots of different subjects and okay. it will try to make you laugh as often as possible. Yes. Narrative comedy doesn't, not so fast with the laughs, but they're going to take you on a journey and sometimes okay. it can be exceptional. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't think. I would ever <laughs> choose to
0: I just, do you say, I mean <laughs> or, or part of that has been confessional comedy as well
1: hasn't confessional, it? Yeah, yeah. confessional yeah narrative confessional yeah yeah it's it's quite and 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 I suppose and and I'm gonna I always stereotype middle class people, but I think that they live quite sort of bland lives sometimes right, so they go mm-hmm. up to the fringe and there's someone who wants to tell this epic tale to them of of drug taking or coming out well, or something. Sure, I mean
0: it's quite, yeah, quite, quite limited, quite narrow, quite, quite bourgeois lives. Because I don't want to sound cynical, but I've often looked at some of these confessionals and thought, well, I've got about a dozen of those shows in my life, yeah. given what's happened to me. But, but I would never dream of it being a thing to present.
1: We'd make it into a good five-minute bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Packed with punchlines, and then we go. All right, yeah, moving yeah. on uh, to the next subject, but. I, I, I think I've often had an agenda, because I don't go to Edinburgh,
0: partly because I can't afford it. I've been a couple of times, partly mm. because I can't afford it, and maybe I'm a bit too old to enjoy the 28 days mm. uh, an arts festival. But I, quite early on, uh, if I have had an agenda, has been to maybe not have to go to Edinburgh to do something that's a bit more challenging, but to do it in the clubs. Mm. It's, it's one thing to do challenging material or maybe more interesting or long-form or narrative or confessional but to do that at the Edinburgh Festival it's another thing to try and do something more interesting in a club setting Mm, Um, and that's probably been my agenda that I haven't just wanted to make people laugh I have wanted them to think about stuff I'm talking about and I think that Mm. can be done you can still be an interesting club comedian you don't have to go right i'm going well, it can to be done by you that, that. i
1: mean like people have a lot of trust and you have a lot of gravitas sure. on stage i think that sometimes i've tried to do the same like you think all right i've got a 20 minute set here mm. there's three minutes here that <laughs> i think is, is really good and i'm going to try and do the three minutes <laughs> but like the the anxiety of when you start that bit and it might be your internal voice they might mm. be into it but sometimes you just go Fucking hell do you know what i mean like what am i doing <laughs> it's like there's stags and hens in the room like you're looking out and well, yeah, sure, you I mean, probably boppers. just have to choose your moments for some things. Yeah, I'm yeah. not,
0: you know, obviously you have to learn to adapt and be in the room, but just the way that you can still be concise about such big topics is something that interests me a lot. Something well, Roger Monkhouse,
1: do. I always think, a brilliant club comic, mm. who mm. I remember once I was doing a gig in Nottingham. It was one of these gigs that came and went and stuff, but I I was there, I was on with another comic who was, was very crowd like like me, you know. And we were like, oh, God, yeah, they're, they're not too bright. Yeah, let's just just give them the meat and, too, you know, two veg. And we, we really went out. And I, I even did some, like, old John y stuff I hadn't done for a while. And I didn't do very well. You mm. know, I, I sort of made the compromise and failed. And um, and then Roger Monkhouse just went out, and he gave them a lot of credit as an audience. And, mm. and um, he did really well. And I sort of thought, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like, your average stand-up isn't going to deal, even the most intelligent ones, in subjects that are beyond the the, the yeah. grasp of your average yeah. person, sure. and I think there is some, something very inclusive about the way that I, I mean, like even when you did you did a um, uh, corporate like um, we did right one right together you, in Jersey yeah. a while ago, and even then like you, you you pushed them and you did stuff that was interesting and funny where I was like literally every minute I was up there was counting down. Sure, I'm not dying. I'm not dying. I'm not dying. You know, it never occurred to me to, to do anything. Interesting.
0: I do work on it, so you know, and I've been going for a long while now, and I haven't yeah. always been able to do that mm. for many years. I, I didn't do that, and I couldn't find a way of doing it. I wasn't experienced enough, mm. um, and maybe I wasn't even actually going to the truth, and I struggled with that. And I remember deciding to compare at Jonglers more than do sets, because mm. I thought, I can't talk about the stuff I want to talk about in a set, whereas if I compare, it doesn't matter. And I put that off. Um, but you, know, you have to know what you're doing, of course, didn't you? <laughs> There's a lot of changes going on at the moment with, yes. with, with new acts coming through. And I, I was wondering, you know, I don't think anyone's ever going to accuse me of being racist or homophobic or, or misogynist. But I was wondering if there's a panic going on with some promoters in terms of trying to connect with ideas about diversity and inclusion. Mm. And the panic is to just book people because of their perceived diversity. Based on their ethnic background or their appearance or their sexuality, um, and and I and you, I there are, I've been on a few bills recently where I thought, well, my job here is to mop this up because all of you are very uh, inexperienced.
1: Well, I think I think the real shame about telly and and club comedy was that it would have been great if they'd have just done this over time, right? So mm-hmm. if you think about TV, you remember like the Real McCoy, Desmonds, mm-hmm. these were huge shows that we all loved and stuff, and there was these breakthrough moments. Goodness gracious me! And then for I don't know why, there just nothing happened for years. And then it started to go backwards. And then obviously with Black Lives Matter, it's woken people up a mm-hmm. bit. But then what you get is this very like handbrake turn moment where people are suddenly trying to do a lot. You would have had a few comedy clubs that were found themselves getting comments online. I think that I find it very weird when, when people sort of the the level of import that people give to Twitter, but they won't be used to that being in trouble, right? So now that they're, they're they're trying to sort of change things very quickly, and I just find it frustrating that that it could have all been done gradually, you know, over over time, and you could have then been giving opportunities to people when they were fully ready for them, rather than lobbing people in because that you don't want to be trending um and then maybe maybe there is like a period where we'll find out in this time who can do it who can't do Mm -hmm. it and 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 it will change but it's hard for comedy clubs because at the moment they're fighting for their life for audience so the the customer experience has to be bang on as well
0: i didn't realize there was a problem with diversity in stand-up comedy i know there were debates and i'm outside Mm -hmm. of the debate so excuse me if i'm not precise um, jonglers' lines were very
1: diverse. Well, actually, uh, I've been about. saying yeah. that to people.
0: Uh, not, maybe, not,
1: maybe not many women on the bill, but like, uh, ethnically they were very diverse. Certainly. Yeah. In,
0: in fact, um, I've been saying that to people recently, that uh, on any given bill, any jonglers anywhere in the country would be a, an old Jewish bloke in a wheelchair, a, yeah. uh, a you know, a, a cross-dresser or an African it's person. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't an issue. It wasn't a sting. No one yeah. ever spoke about it. No one ever said, we must have these things on our bills. Uh, maybe it was to do they had so many spots to, to, to fill that everyone was in, but it, it wasn't an issue at that time. And I don't know what happened between, let's say, you know, between 2010... Uh, with the demise of jonglers, um when that was just commonplace, like I don't know what's happened in terms bit, yeah. of representation. In I think clubs. That, I
1: think it's true to say that there was there was an issue, and certainly there was there was a group of clubs that 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 you, it did seem to be that there wasn't. Much progress happening, and the, the, one of the issues as well, If you want to talk about female representation, there's a lot. Well, of that, there's always been an uh, issue with that. There's always course, been an yeah. issue, but then yeah. what happened was TV kind of started to cotton on to that. But then what happened was a lot of acts, like female acts, that got mm-hmm. good quick would then suddenly have TV opportunities. Mm-hmm. And there's one uh, person that has gone on very well to say <laughs> for herself. She said to me, she said, "Jeff, I don't want to go to a travel lodge in fucking Coventry on a Friday." And stuff. Of course. <laughs> no, yeah. Now this is this is a broad generalisation, but I think that there is something about that slightly tragic lifestyle that maybe. Men would tolerate. More. Yes, of course. <laughs> right. Of like, course, she was yeah. like, I don't want to do that. Like, yeah. and I was, it, it took me a long time to work out that being like a club game big hitter for mm-hmm. a lot of acts and a lot of you know w- was just not an aspiration. Was not an aspiration mm-hmm. at all. And um, I think that I, I, that's what I, I struggled to get my head around, particularly in television, because you think. That, so in television they would have always thought that they were liberal. you know mm. that's not a new thing that's been going on since the 90s. They would always thought that they were you know diverse and inclusive. but it was them that were the decision makers for all mm. this time of course. when it started to go backwards of and I, I just don't understand why that happened and now and now you ha- it's done at a pace that can be very obvious and, and, yeah. and, and, and well, when
0: I started I was always conscious of uh, a, a middle class bias and thinking, well, where are all the working-class comics? Where is their Mm. representation on TV? Not myself personally, because I was always quite old, and I didn't really have ambitions in that way. But what I've been thinking increasingly about so-called diversity is whether people who run comedy clubs and promoters actually know what it means, or if we all know, if we're all having the same debate, in that does diversity mean... We must have people that don't look white and male and middle-aged. Are we looking for diversity of appearance? Or are we looking for diversity in terms of what these people represent, their background, what they're talking about, diversity of opinion? Hmm. And I, I'm, I'm not really sure where I stand on that, because on one hand, I remember the hoo-ha about the Sainsbury's advert for Christmas and there being a black family and the amount of complaints... And that makes me think, well, on one hand, what we do need is diversity of just ordinariness so that just these ordinary things become normal. Mm. So that becomes normalised. In stand-up comedy, of course, we're not really looking for that. We're looking for, for people to have opinions and attitude. So I, I'm i I'm often very disappointed when I'm on a bill that is considered diverse, and yet the opinions are actually hack and old-fashioned and mainstream. And they can, they can be
1: quite... not diverse opinion this is one of the things i mean is that
0: but is that still a development is that still a progression do you understand no i understand what you're saying
1: and i think that at this point in time a lot of people would say yes because Mm. i think that the the optics of arguments Mm. are incredibly important to people Mm. they want sort of simple things that you know reassure themselves that they're doing the Mm. right thing i mean i believe it or not sit on the BBC Diversity and Inclusion panel. Mm -hmm. Somehow fucking blagged my way into that. But the whole point that I I make is that obviously the the cause of diversity is noble, right? Is that broadly speaking, you want things, adverts, TV shows, to Mm -hmm. represent what Britain is, right? You know, 20% being, you know, a sort of fair Mm -hmm. representation of gay, disabled, and all kinds of people. Um, But if you lose credibility for that cause, if diversity of opinion isn't factored in, because that's a hugely important thing. And this is where, you know, with the political angle is that I do stick with it because I think it's important, right? If you have, if you have like a BBC that seems to be coming from all from one way, then what happens is you get this splintering of people, you know, going further right wing, because it's easy for them to say any fucking Mm -hmm. BBC metropolitan wankers, you know what I mean? They don't speak for me and stuff. So, the The project of diversity is a good one, but if it doesn't include opinion, then it loses credibility.
0: Well, particularly... Uh, obviously, the other factor is I'm talking about stand-up comedy as an art form, which is best, is about opinion, is about attitude, maybe about challenging people's ideas. It's one thing to have in an advert where it's just about selling stuff, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, But I'd be thinking about a white act and thinking you're just talking mainstream nonsense. So I... There's a sense in which we're more critical about what people are saying. No, no, in I think you're, absolutely,
1: you're absolutely right. Like yeah. the style that people present in stand up yeah. is, and you know, obviously this applies to me to an extent too, is you're saying, I'm this guy, yeah. or I'm that woman, you know, mm-hmm. and it's almost like a, a kind of uh, dog whistle to commissioners, you know, mm-hmm. winking at them, go, by the way, if you've got a this shaped hole, I'm that shape, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and, and like it's so many things in stand up, the simple craft of getting better at stand up. I mean, I, don't, I think it's no mistake at the moment, if you look at the US, Is the people that do really well there are the people that have done stand-up a really long time quite Mm -hmm. simply you know the people that get the biggest specials and are the funniest people Mm -hmm. they've just been doing it I mean it just sounds so obvious to say it they've just done loads of Mm stand-up they've done loads of hours they've turned over new stuff they've done Mm -hmm. all the toughest rooms the nicest rooms and 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 it's the only game in the world whereby experience could potentially, in in this country could be held against Mm -hmm. you it's a very weird thing. Um,
0: is there an issue also then of how are people that are in minority groups going to get better at stand-up comedy if they're not allowed to go out and be rubbish like everybody else?
1: Well, yeah, and that that is where I guess the, the sort of sure. these unspoken quotas had to come in yeah. because evidently there were a lot of bookers mm-hmm. who it just wasn't. I you know they they might have said well the talent wasn't around, but it went on long enough that, yeah. that perhaps because
0: we've all been allowed to be shit and go out and talk rubbish yeah, yeah. before we got better.
1: Yeah, there was Um, no. It's definitely like a period. I mean, my my, my wife, who is you know, she's very kind of middle of the road politically. You know, she's she's liberal, but she's not aggressively so. You know, but I remember there was some lineups that she saw at at, you know in the club game when I was doing it, and she was like, "It's just four blokes saying the same thing." Yeah, there was at one point. I think it was. There was four white blokes, and we were all between the ages of thirty-five and forty-five, <laughs> and we all had a similar relationship with our wife. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was definitely, I think that. But you're right; it's like get different people in, but don't think that that's the end of the discussion. I, uh, it's not just that they look different, but what are they? Certainly, what are they saying? So, before you go, I just want to know
0: what you're up to. You, you, you. You're doing you're doing TV. You're doing the, you're doing the circuit. You're doing touring. What 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 what's the future for you now? Let's let's just briefly,
1: well, round up that before you go. So there's a couple of things I've been trying to get away. There's a couple of program ideas. You know, I'd like to do another documentary because um, I learned I did one about class and I learned a lot from mm-hmm. doing that and there was a lot of it that I liked, but also. The BBC very much wanted me to be a certain thing in that, and and you know when you sort of lean slightly outside of what you are, not not totally, but I'd love to have another go at it basically. Okay. Um, and then there's a a, a kind of comedy drama script that that's quite a decent way a way along, and it's it's basically, um, it, it's actually based around here actually. It's about it's about a, a lad that perhaps. He's more old-fashioned, finding himself, you know, out of step with the. With the I mean, you know, you sort of write yourself a, a, okay, a little course. bit, but he, hes basically trying to get rich, you know. And I sort of thought it's this funny thing in British society that we—we we love money and we, we're, but we don't admit it, do we? Like mm-hmm. the Yanks, of they, they own it, they love, sure. they love the, you know, the greenbacks, the dollar bills, mm-hmm. but everyone in this country acts like it's this sort of coincidence of what they do. So I thought I'd like to explore that, and I would love that to get away. And if that does, if it doesn't get commissioned as a script, okay. I'm going to write it as a book because I love the characters in it so much. You know, I think it's okay. very much of its time. So
0: what about your stand-up? Are you working on a single show idea or so are you I'm, doing I'm, circuit gigs? You're out so I'm doing out to
1: touring now, out touring, touring your, your new show called touring. I Blame the Parents. And it's funny because I was started off. I mean, some of it is just some stories about my parents. Okay. But the other thing was I was like, right, I'm going to get away from talking about the zeitgeist the political stuff but there's been such interesting things that happen since lockdown mm-hmm. is there's a lot of things to discuss like you know cancel culture um like trigger warnings on films the way that we are now infantilized mm-hmm. by the state or broadcasters mm-hmm. or corporations and and it's less from like a, a strict left right thing anymore just it, like this is exactly what i think mm-hmm. and it will probably some of it will please people on the right and mm-hmm. some of it will will be liked by people. But you found
0: a way of being implicit with your political di- ideas through the art of stand-up comedy. I yeah. don't know if you notice that trend amongst some more inexperienced or not-so-good comedians where they tell a few jokes and they stop... And then they go. Well, I think this about this, and I and there's almost yeah. a, they've, everyone stops laughing for five minutes while they they put over their. political Yeah, opinions. you got a, you got a show rather than the tell. art is to to yeah run to just these let it come across. Yeah, basically through whilst making people laugh. isn't I've,
1: it? Over the course of an hour, and I think mm. that I was, I think that the process of Brexit and you know the fact that they tried to stop a democratic vote happening, it got me exercised. Mm. And probably a little bit more politically partisan okay. than I would otherwise have been, because I sort of thought, well, the Tories the only one seems to have any desire to defend this thing. So I sort mm-hmm. of was more in that camp. But now that having been concluded, I don't owe the Conservatives anything, okay. you know. And and I, I just I think that as a voter, I know that some comics on the left fully identify as like I'm labor I'm like, What I am is a voter who's mm-hmm. voted Conservative for the last ten years. But you know, I'm I'm open to ideas. I, I have probably a personality that would maybe always veer a bit towards mm-hmm. the Tories, but okay. none of it's nailed down now. And that's interesting creatively. It's more interesting, I think, to be in that space. Mm-hmm. I increasingly find now that I will piss off m- more people from both sides now mm-hmm. with the things that I say. And I think that's probably healthier as a comic.
0: Sure, sure. I don't know when this is going out in terms of your your touring show, but are you someone that's uh, that does social media yeah
1: yeah I'm on the on the twitter on the instagram and stuff okay, and it's just wrong. jeff norcott yeah jeff norcott in, we'll Yeah, find you and yeah jeff with a g and then okay. with the touring stuff i'm always flogging Oh, there's the book as well of course the book uh, and the book is called Where Did I Go Right How the Left Lost okay. Me <laughs> I was just saying I'm not
0: encouraging this kind of embracing of right wing ideas <laughs> you know it right was funny
1: Jeff I was just saying yeah, I'm moving away from the whole right wing yeah. thing you know I'm yeah. going to be, and then the, title, <laughs> the title of my book is literally oh that's beautiful man Ron Seal does what it says on the tin uh, thanks
0: for coming in I really had
1: a nice time yeah no great to, to chat you, with man. you it's Jeff
0: and, uh, uh, see you around there that's uh, Jeff Norcott ladies and gentlemen in the Smart Casual Studio thank you very much indeed this podcast was hosted by me, Jeff Innocent. It was produced and edited by Sam Picconi. Don't forget to like and subscribe and follow me on social media at Jeff Innocent Official on Instagram and Innocent Jeff on Twitter. See you next time for another episode of
1: Smart Casual.